Being an entrepreneur is being in a state of delusion. Welcome to Exciting Careers Podcast, where our job is to travel the world finding stories, habits, and tools to inspire you and your career. We don't need to be rich or famous to have an exciting career, but we do need to be making a difference in the world and to feel excited to wake up in the morning to go do whatever it is we're working on. This podcast is brought to you by MaxiCareerCoaching.com. And now your host, Mari Pimenta. I wanted to let you know that I met Edward about two years and a half ago, first time I lived in Barcelona, and it was the first time I actually went to a digital nomad event. I had never heard this expression, digital nomad, before. I, I found out when I was living in Turkey um, by doing a Google search because I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to come inside Spain after being 10 days out of Europe. Uh, the rule is that you have to stay three months out of Europe before you come back. So I was searching in Google a place that I could go in case the Spanish immigration wouldn't let me in. And I remember I Googled online entrepreneur where to go. And I found nomadlist.com, which has become like a Bible for all the people who are digital and are always looking for cities to live with high quality of life and low cost. And I discovered this term digital nomad. And I was like, wow, this sounds like what I'm doing. And I found they had some events and I found an event in Barcelona. So fortunately, I was able to go back to Barcelona, get in Spain. The immigration was cool. And I went to this event. We were like six people and I sat next to Edward. He was probably 23, 22, 23 at the time, I think. And he started telling me about how he registered his business in Hong Kong a few years before. And I was crazy looking for an answer of where I should register my business because I didn't want to live in Brazil anymore. And yeah, I wanted to take advantage of my business being online to pay less tax. So he gave me a class of, you know, the best countries for me to register my business And since then, we've been friends. He's given me many tips and we've helped each other along the way in the moments of struggling. And I just had to interview him because he's so young, so full of courage and life. And it's always so much fun to talk to him. The interesting thing is I recorded this conversation with him at Cloud Coworking in Barcelona that actually he invited me to this co-working and it was this amazing view of Barcelona that we had and we worked side by side for a few months there. And he published an article a few weeks ago called What I Learned Starting Lumumba and Fucking It Up. So after we recorded this, some things happened to his business and he wrote this article telling the story. So I think it's very important that you go back to the article. You can find the link in the website be digital, befree.com, go to podcasts, find Edward there, and in the show notes, you'll find the article. So it's very, very interesting to see what he has learned from all this experience and what happened after we had this conversation. I hope you enjoy, and especially if you're looking into starting a startup, learn with Edward's steps. Okay, Edward, I'm so happy we finally got together because we've been trying for so long 
Quite a lot. You're so busy, man. <laughs> I am. My goodness. So instead of me introducing you, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to let you introduce yourself, but I want you to include in your introduction yeah. how we met each other. Yes. And why did we connect so much in so many ways? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to start with that. Uh, we met uh, around two years ago uh, at a Digital Nomads event. And um, we were both uh, looking to meet uh, digital nomads. And uh, I think at that time, he just arrived from Brazil, Van right? And, um, and yeah, we connected well because we sort of both, we both love the same lifestyle. And we both wanted to reach that, that idea of somebody who's autonomous and is able to travel the world, work, and, and you know, have only a laptop and a couple of t-shirts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And um, I, I remember you told me that you had already lived in Africa. You had already lived where else? Um, so I moved to China when I was 19 years old. And that's sort of the beginning of my journey. And I've been to pretty much quite a few countries in Asia maybe 80% of them, and then I've been to Ghana in Africa, I've been to a couple of countries in, in America, but overall like 25 or 30 countries. So which of those countries did you actually stay for three months or more? Um, so I stayed there in China a couple of times. Um, Where in China? In China, I stayed in Shanghai uh, most of my time. I also traveled around the country and I go to Hong Kong maybe once or twice. Okay. And yes, and of course, we want to talk about that because you were the first person who encouraged me to open and register my company in Hong Kong when I was looking for a place. Yeah. You actually suffered with my emails trying to help me figure out the... I think that's one question that every digital nomad asks um, himself at a point because we can just register our company anywhere we want. Exactly. And if you are European, it makes sense to maybe register in one place, or if you're Brazilian, then it's another story. Exactly. So it depends on your nationality, and I think we both agree that we don't have enough, or maybe we don't have any accountants that are totally informed about all the different regulations in all countries and how does it apply to all different nationalities, right? Yeah, um, it's, it's a sort of a very specific knowledge, the financial engineering part of, of the business. And they probably charge 500 euros or more per hour. So they just don't know. They don't have that much money. Yeah, really, right? We don't. And so there's now this this whole number of websites that they're trying to give you information about it. And some of them are reliable, some are not. But it's quite do it yourself, and it still works. It still works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it works when people are as fast and as smart as you are. But if they're slow, as I am. I know the things that I'm good at, and I know the things I'm not good at, and I'm definitely not good at the tax. And although I'm graduated in law, mm-hmm. the legal, international legal part of thing, I think is quite boring. I think that's why I didn't want to be a lawyer. It I is boring. It's boring. <laughs> so I just, I think I prefer to wait until I have the money to pay that 500 euros an hour, you know, <laughs> just to say, look, I have, I have this situation. <laughs> you just give me an answer. I mean, for me, it was that I that I, I had investments in since I was a teenager. I invested in the stock market in Spain, and when the crash came in two thousand eight, I lost half of my savings. 
So that was my motivation to kind of get out as fast as we can. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's why I learned quickly. <laughs> so that, so that, that's that's when you registered your business in Hong Kong? Yep, yep. It, it also at the time I was still was very close to China and so it made sense for me to have the business there because I could, you know, make business with China easily. So that was eight years ago? Um, that was... Uh, the company that was registered uh, four years ago. Four years ago? Yeah. And you're how old today? I'm 26. 26. So when you were 22, you were registering the company in Hong Kong? Yeah, 22, 23, yeah. How old were you when you started working? Um, I don't know, maybe 19, I guess, 18. I mean, kind of like, when I was 15, I, I was training bootlegs. So bootlegs are illegal recordings of concerts. And there used to be networks, you know, in the old, like, BBBs, the bulletin boards and all kinds of forums that, you know, like Web, web 1.0. And we used to trade bullets with people from all over the world. So that's how I built my first website. I had my eBay account, PayPal account. So I was sort of doing my small little things since I was 15. Basically, it's this tradition where you go to a concert and you record it and then you share it among other fans of the band. And uh, there's it's a tradition that has been. It's an audio on. file. Yeah, and and or video. It's probably the people been doing it since the sixties. We have to mention we're inside cloud co-working Barcelona. Um, how do you uh, like the co-working um, part of things? It's it's the power of randomness. I mean, it depends on your beliefs, but for me, it's the power of randomness. It's just putting a bunch of people together and see what happens. <laughs> and uh, especially since most of the people here work with computers, with the internet, so there's sort of an instant connection with pretty much everybody that's around here. And that's the interesting part because you don't have to make an effort to actually, you know, build a network or build a community, make friends. Right. Do you actually do business inside co-workings? Do you meet people that become partners or service providers in some way? Um, not really. But the thing is that the ecosystem in Barcelona is still small enough that there are startups here that we know each other previously, like from before we moved here, we already knew each other. So before you moved to this co-working? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a couple of them that we knew each other before. So it's interesting in a way that you can keep up, you know, you can keep the relationship going and some of them might be possible investors in the future or mentors. So right. So, so let's talk about your startup then. Mm -hmm. Lumumba. Yes. What is Lumumba? Lumumba is a multicultural apparel startup. We create clothing inspired by different cultures and traditions found across the world. And we do this through crowdsourcing. We organize online competitions open to everybody. And whoever wins a competition is going to be part of the clothing collections. So we basically open the value chain of the fashion industry to the consumer. It's... Uh, through the internet. So can you give me an example? So basically, let's say uh, what we're doing now. Um, every month we choose a culture from a different part of the world. And uh, maybe it could be something like the Maasai in Kenya, which a lot of people know. And then we ask people to create designs inspired by that culture. So create clothes that you can wear on a daily basis in any city of the world, but that connect to that particular culture. Well, you ask the local people. Yeah, yeah. Because people here wouldn't know what kind of things they wear there. We, we work both ways. So what we do is, through our website, we explain to people uh, everything about that culture. So when the competition is live, 
people can go to our website, learn about the culture, and then do their designs. And then we also work with local designers and local fashion students. So they are part of the competition and they design also special clothing collections. So in, in a way, we try to make it open to everybody. So we have that mix of an African designing and Asian inspired clothes and vice versa. So having a multicultural mix, because for us, that's very important in terms of values, of unity, of diversity, multiculturality. But at the same time, we work with local uh, talent because we want to empower the people there. Local, you mean Barcelona people? Uh, no, basically for, from each country, because we feel that the best way to help them develop and move forward is just by going there, asking them, what do you need? Do you want to collaborate? Let's work on this together. Well, how do you do that being here? Do you have to be flying everywhere where you have a competition? No, we haven't flown a single time so far. We have closed deals with designers in Vietnam, South Africa, India, and we're about to close with the designer from Ghana. Um, but yeah, so basically it's a numbers game. It's about how many emails do you send? How many people do you contact through the internet? It's basically a conversion rate. And that's how I deal with everything. It's basically you send 100 emails, maybe 2% of the people will answer that's enough for you. And how do you get that list of emails? Well, I shouldn't say this, it's all about scrapping. So <laughs> you go to the internet, you, you use particular tools that allow you to, to, to pull out emails from LinkedIn, from websites and whatnot. And usually, sometimes it's public information, sometimes it's just there, pull it out. And with the 2% conversion, is that a real number? Like, no, 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 no. Do you have those numbers or no? It's probably lower. It depends on the case and the country because each country has a particular business mindset that you have to deal with. Some countries will want to see you face to face. Some countries will literally just close the deal by email in a couple of weeks. So it's totally different. It's case by case. By case. So can you give us some examples? Um, so basically in the case of, of Ghana, we, we've been trying hard, but people try, one prefer to meet face to face. Whereas in South Africa, we closed literally in a couple of weeks. I just sent 10 emails. So I sent 10 emails, one, two people answered, I closed one deal. So when you say you closed one, you mean that that person decided to produce? We decided to, to create a joint clothing collection and they were going to do the designs and we produce them, we market them. Basically. But what about the competition that you talked about before? Then you would need more than one. Uh, yeah, the competition is open to everybody. That's a separate uh, part of the business. So what we do is, since we release a, when we release the competition, we also release a clothing collection based on the same thing. So basically everything is a, a single package campaign. And that's how we define it. So when you go there and you're talking about particular culture, you can also buy the clothes from that particular culture and everything fits within the same. Okay, but I'm still confused about the competition though. Like, yeah. When you say you, you have one person um, who decided to produce in partnership, they will design, you will produce mm -hmm. the clothing mm -hmm. in South Africa, for example. Yeah. You're gonna have them competing with the people in India. No, that's, okay. we have two, two lines. So one is the feature designers. So these are designers, local designers that are already known. So they are kind of famous in their own countries. So we work with them to develop these special clothing collections. And then we have the competition. So there are two different um, product lines that we have. Okay. But then the competition is within a country? 
or you have different countries competing? It's open to everybody in the world. You just need an internet connection. And it's one competition per year? It's 12. Oh, it's one competition per month? Yes. It's 12 competitions, 12 different topics. And each competition will have one winner, mm -hmm. one piece of clothing? Uh, an outfit. One outfit. Yeah, so basically right now we're, we're choosing one, we're choosing two winners and each winner has a full outfit. Basically. Two winners this month? Uh, November, yeah, there's going to be two winners. And what does the winner get? The winner gets uh, a cut, so they get a percentage of the revenue that goes back to them. They get their names on the clothing labels, basically, together with ours, so it's basically a joint collaboration. So basically in the fashion industry, usually you don't acknowledge the designer except when it's high fashion. So Zara and all the major brands, they don't acknowledge who created the designs. Basically because most of the time they're just copying designs that they scout from other sources. So uh, what we do is we, we change that and we say we're, gonna not, we're going to acknowledge who did the designs. We're going to tell people about it. We're going to tell people who is it, why is it, and, and why that design is made that way or another way, and what's the culture behind that design. Right. So we want to let people know the full story. And have you completed any competitions yet? We're starting this November. <laughs> okay. How long have you been involved with La Mamba? So um, the idea came to be around five years ago. I really started last year, but we went through the incubation program, the Founder Institute, and we really kick-started our activities in June this year. Okay. Yeah, that's when we really put fuel to the fire. And what's the perfect professional future for Lumumba? Well, I'm Three years from now. Three years from now. Yeah. Well, We're 2019, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, now let's say. Let's say 2020, because you're going to be 30. <laughs> What's that professional future look like for you uh -huh. and for Lumumba? Well, it depends on how it evolves, but in a way for me it's just the start. Because I think the future is as follows. The world, so right now you had a world that was somewhat influenced by Western culture. Way too influenced by Western culture. And in reality we're just a minority. So what we have to face is that we're losing influence because we're only a small part of the world. And as the rest of the world is... When you say we, you're talking about... Western cultures, let's say Europe, USA, and we could even include maybe some countries in South America as well. So in a way, it's, it's, it's the rest of the world is developing, the rest, of, the rest of the world is rising, so we're just a minority. So our brands, which are selling worldwide, they're still selling the same Western stuff. It doesn't make any sense. Now we're now your we is for India, Africa, for the countries that you are picking and choosing to work with through Lumumba. Yeah, because okay. they're going to be the future consumers. We are not. Right. They're going to be the majority. So we need to be speaking to them in their own language, not ours. Mm -hmm. And that's why it makes sense that we're starting to make multicultural, global businesses, really global businesses. Because a global business is not just a business selling their local product worldwide. It means to talk to everybody in their own language. Mm -hmm. And you need to face that diversity. You need to acknowledge it and make it yours. And that's what we're trying to do. And that's what I aspire to have a brand that really talks to the multiple people that live in this world. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, 
that we represent it in ourselves. So the whole team is diverse. The whole team come from different parts of the world. And it's just it's not only about selling. It's because we love it. I mean, we love it to make be in touch with other people. You know that. Yeah. With other cultures. And that's why we're talking because you're excited about it. <laughs> Exciting careers. Um, so yeah, and and that's so so 2020. 2020. Mm. Well, are you going to be living in Barcelona? I don't think so. No? Not even uh, next year. No? No. Where do you think you're going to be? Maybe nowhere. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're going to die before that? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be somewhere. I'm going to be a spirit in the network. <laughs> No, seriously, like, do, um, you, do you plan on being a digital nomad like me, or just yeah. moving around, or do you picture yourself somewhere? Well, I see ourselves having multiple production centers, and um, having multiple offices in different places, um, mm. and trying to commute between the different offices. I think that would be kind of a dream come true, where somebody, we have an office in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, and then people can just commute from one office to the other. That's the dream for 2020. Yeah. To have like a team in each of those yeah. places. Yeah, there's not going to be a headquarters. Right. So I could be anywhere at any given time. Do you have any numbers in mind? Like, is it important for you to have a team of, I don't know, 50 people? How many people do you have today on board? So we have um, five. Officially, we're five. And uh, we should be six by next month, and we have several partners as well. Yeah, I want to talk about this. Um, I just want to close the 2020 um, picture first, mm -hmm. but I want you to talk about how you um, hire people, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. No family then ahead in the next years because living my life, I can tell you, relationship wise, it's very hard. That's why I decided to try to control myself and stay nine months a year in Spain. <laughs> right? You know that? Um, so it's something you're not even thinking about right now. Mm. I don't think it's, I think it's compatible, but in a way that the other person must be willing to also be a nomad. Okay. Yeah. I had that dream too for a while. <laughs> I got the picture in, in like, in terms of a team number of people is that, you know, you want to be a big company or you want to continue small or we're aiming big as big as we can be. So okay. um, that's that's the thing, but I'm not going to focus on saying, yeah, we do, it's a marathon. You play for the long run, you want to get to a place where you have obviously a few million dollars in revenue or more than that. Uh, you probably want to have more than 50 people in your team, but it's all about quality. It's qualitative, you know, it's not quantitative. You just want to be, to have fun on the way to be able to grow and be cash flow positive and profitable and you want to have everything aligned. So right now we focus on the next six months, the next year, and we'll see from there. Obviously you have an idea in your head, but um, I think it doesn't make any sense to just lay it all out because you don't know how it's going to really play out. Right. Um, so you just follow and keep growing and you have a plan which is Let's grow this, let's start to get the wheel moving, let's start to get a few million in revenue and to build a multicultural team and let's try to make something meaningful and valuable to people. But um, 
what it's going to be in four or five years, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. So for, for just for people who are listening, like how could they get involved with Lumumba? So we're launching next month. Uh, so we invite people. You can go to our website and there's a waiting list. So you can register there. You can follow us on social media. It's Lumumba Fashion. On all, all across social media. So Lumumba, L-U-M-U-M-B-A. Yes. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you want. <laughs> no Snapchat yet, where we're trying. <laughs> so if there are people in Brazil who produce uh, clothes, I'm thinking like, t- you know, typical... Yeah, we had this conversation. I have a hard time thinking of what would fit inside a Brazilian typical... Baiana, yeah. Uh, Baiana, you know, the women from yeah, the Bahia. White, the white clothes. Oh, uh, the Baianas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baiana is exactly the cell, the acarajés and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Which I think is a very nice way to dress mm-hmm. um, for women. You could dress like that. I know. could, I could. <laughs> I, we could say, we could say, I, I wish we thought about this before. <laughs> so I could wear that in our picture. Yeah. Um, we can do that, definitely. <laughs> so then they, they have uh, this, they want to participate. So mm-hmm. they make a design of a Bayana dress. For example. And then what? Uh, the thing is, during November, we're launching our India competition. So everything is going to be inspired by Banjara culture. Banjaras are the original gypsies. Gypsies, gypsies, I'm almost confused. Gypsies. Gypsies, thank you. <laughs> and um, so basically, people can design anything they want, inspired by that culture. And so even if they are Brazilian, they have to look into this, this, these people and yeah. understand their story and design something related. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you have like a calendar where people know where Brazil could be? Uh, we're working on it. Right now we only have three to four months uh, of planning. Okay. Um, since we're bootstrapping, we're not trying to plan ahead two ahead because mm-hmm. first we want to get the first two three months right right baby steps yeah yeah grow organically yeah and financially it's it's more sound so you were talking about investors and I, I still want you to well go ahead and tell me like how do you how do you have money in because you're it's such a new project mm-hmm. how do you find the money to hire five people for example yeah or how does it happen? Or do you not pay these? Because I know you're so creative. <laughs> you always find these solutions. So, well, being an entrepreneur is being in a state of delusion. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, in a way, you have to convince people. You, you don't have to convince people, actually. The people that you have to convince are usually the ones that are not going to be working with you. But rather the people that when they when they see your values, when they read about you, they feel that they're part of it, that they connect with it. And that's the people that will say, okay, I'm going to jump on board. I'm going to be here with you, working with you, even though I'm not earning anything right now. But I want to be here because I believe in this. And uh, again, it's a numbers game. If you contact a lot of people, you will probably find these people. If you go through the right channels, you're going to find these people. You just need to find where the relevant people for your business and for your body are. Mm-hmm. As basic as that. Right. So you actually get people to work for you for free? 
Yes, we... No, I wouldn't say work for you, I would say work with you. Yeah, that would be the right. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. <laughs> so, do you, what kind of deal, do you offer them like shares or anything? Yes, more amount of equity, um, which is controversial because once you get into the startup world, you will see that everybody does it differently. Some people say you should split evenly, you should, some people say you should never split evenly. Um, I'm, I basically say I'm giving them a small amount of equity. So they feel part of the company, they have some ownership and they are responsible as well. Yeah, that is a really difficult part of it though. Thinking of how much shares, because you don't know them yet. Mm -hmm. Don't you like set a time like, oh, we have to work together for at least a year. It's like dating a person and thinking about having a child with the person, you know, that you just met two months ago. Don't you feel afraid? Um, yeah, I mean, it's like getting married without having had sex. Exactly, that's even better, that's even better. <laughs> um, uh, well, there's a point where we, we have our own lawyers, we're building the contracts. Um, in Spain it's more difficult because the law is more restrictive, but in the US or any UK and these kind of countries, you can easily set up schemes where you can protect yourself, protect the company, and even protect the people who sign the contract your partners, your business partners. So basically what it says is you can do besting, which is a classical, classic way of doing it, which means that every month that they work with you, they get a certain amount of shares back mm. to them. When you go to the accelerators, do they actually teach you all this stuff, like how much you should give or what model contract you should use? They give you that kind of support? The documentation is out there. If you go to Y Combinator's website or any other startup website, you'll find all of the all the documentation is open. Okay, it's out there, you can just check it yourself. So. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So that's all stuff that you learned in the accelerator. I didn't. It's a, it's a sort of a self-learning process. Right. I think for most of the startup founders, just do it yourself. Everything. Mm -hmm. So most of those people that are on board working for shares mm -hmm. for the future. Are they full-time or part-time? Because they um, need to make money to survive, I guess, right? Yeah, this, this, uh, two of them are unemployed, so they have their own benefits. So for the time being, they're, they're working with me until um, we do the switch, which I shouldn't say that, but I said it. And uh, <laughs> when, you, when you say do the switch, you mean like? We sign a contract and and then we may start having a salary as well because none of us have a salary, so right. Right. Um, but but yeah, basically that's it. Um, as it was that. And is there any pattern in terms of startups? Like, how long does one take to actually start monetizing? Or it's like each person, each story is different. Totally story. It's a different story. Uh, right now, you have two two ways of doing it. One is. You grow so fast, then you don't need to monetize. So basically what you're doing is you're getting investment and you're growing fast and you're getting users. Every user that you gain, it's more data. Data is valuable. That's how you make business. So you will figure out a couple of years after how to monetize that. But the beginning, you just grow, 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 grow. Right. So in your case, you need to have savings. These people need to have savings or have a family support them. They can pay for their food and rent. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, in my case, it's it's personal debt, so I have debt. 
It's <laughs> <laughs> a narrow good, it's slavery, but uh, yeah, well, at least you're not paying Brazilian interest rates. <laughs> Spanish interest rates. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, that's not doable in Brazil because <laughs> of our interest rates. Close my mind. How much is it now? Ten percent, fifteen? Last time I checked when I was in Brazil, just I was just curious because I just have fun asking these questions up <laughs> there. It was the minimum, like the the best rate they had for small companies mm -hmm. in federal banks, which yeah. would should make things easier for you, was like twelve twelve percent a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, "No, no. If you give your car in guarantee, or if you have, if you give an apartment in guarantee, mm -hmm. then we, we we can lower it for like three percent a month." Yeah, and I'm like, "Oh, but I'm starting a business, so I don't have a car. I don't have an apartment." And it's like, "So twelve percent? Wow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's crazy." So okay, the startup because mm -hmm. we always have these discussions. Yeah, and I want the podcast to be like. You know, a usual conversation that we have. Yeah. You're always like, Mari, you should transform Maxi um, Career Coaching or <laughs> the online English school into a startup. Mm -hmm. And I always tell you, no, that's not for me, that's for you. I don't want to be a slave. I don't want to work 18 hours a day. I don't want to have to be um, reducing the size of my podcast interviews because I have a meeting with an investor. You know, I've been, I've, I've, I just can't picture myself giving all my blood mm -hmm. anymore and I think that's what needs to happen for a startup to have success, right? Delusion. Yeah. Delusion. <laughs> um, so do you, do, you, do you agree with when I say this or do you think, I'm, uh, do you think every company should eventually be a startup? No, no way. Never. A startup must be part of your lifestyle. If it doesn't feed your lifestyle, it doesn't make any sense for you to try and become what people call a startup right. or assume that the startup is. So basically, if, if you have a lifestyle where you want to travel the world and you want to make photographs of wild animals in Nepal, then you should build a business around that maybe mm -hmm. or some other kind of business that allows you to do that. But trying to scale a company that means that you're gonna to have to there's no work-life balance that's that's fiction yeah so you have to in the startups in yeah startups. there's no work-life balance so you have to to start with that basis with that that idea that you're not gonna have a work-life balance but so therefore you must enjoy what you do <laughs> right i totally enjoy what i do i work sundays with a glass of wine, I, I love working in the middle of the night when I wake up, I love it. It's just the, the pressure mm -hmm. of having to monetize, having to reach that number uh, of revenue in that short span of time. You know, that's what I don't know if I... I your age, though, so th that, that would be my next question. Because mm -hmm. I, I used to do that for my businesses. The yes. business that I started when I was 20. Yes. And I had for 15 years. I, I, that's what I did. You should tell your story one day. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you start your podcast and then you can interview <laughs> Um But it's just like right now, being 41, mm -hmm. I'm, I think I passed that already. Well, let me tell you, according to statistics, it's not true. No. The best businesses, let's say even LinkedIn, have started by have been started by entrepreneurs who are older than thirty-five. 
Right. But they, but they are the ones who have that dream of being a millionaire. Maybe. Maybe, or sometimes it can be that they really do have a passion for something and they have the time to figure it out. And they have this idea and they really want to pursue it. And they do. And they have the experience which we don't. And that's an advantage. And so right now, this um, actually there was an article a couple of days ago and there, there, the statistics show that more and more people who are older than 40 are becoming entrepreneurs. Yeah, maybe you're going to convince me to go back to the rat race. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> so what suggestions mm-hmm. do you have for people who are not happy with their career? They're at a moment where some of them are actually taking depression medication. Mm. Uh, a lot of my clients, when they hire, hire me, they're unfortunately at that point of despair and they, they hate going to the office just for the money. Mm-hmm. And, and you, I don't know, 85% of the people in the world don't like what they do. Only 15% of us are lucky to do what we love. So if you were in that 85%, and you were looking for ways to get out. Mm-hmm. But let's say you need the money from your salary. Yeah. Maybe because you have kids or, I don't know, or something you're paying a mortgage. What suggestions would you give those people with the experience that you have, being so excited about what you do? You, you actually gave a very interesting suggestion when you said that unemployed people are actually joining startups that they believe in. I think that's pretty interesting. So for the unemployed ones, they could actually volunteer and research for startups that are aligned with what purposes in life they have, right? Definitely. I mean, um, being employee number 160 at Facebook was very profitable, extremely profitable, even though you were 160. So it's a good way to, to change and try something new. Um, I would say you have the weekends, even though you have kids, you may have the night time, you always have that small pocket of time, maybe one hour a day, half an hour a day, where you can sit down and explore, you know, mm-hmm. sit in front of Google and say, start searching, reading about what interests you right. and start discovering new ways and new things that might pick an interest and that might make you say, okay, I could do this, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you should start small. Right. Just trying to open out of that particular, you know, cycle and wheel that you're in. And I see that with my family, that it's very difficult for them to get out of the wheel because they've been in there for so long. So what I would say is try to implement small changes, really small incremental changes. Like what? Um, it could be going running for half an hour, as simple as that. And that will give you another perspective of things, of life. Mm-hmm. Um, for my family, it was hiring two other, two people to do the work that they do and taking that decision that they were going to do a small investment so they could have more time mm-hmm. for themselves. Right. Um, so it, it's all about trying to find small incremental changes. For some people, it would be to do radical changes, just leave your job, disappear for a while, which I think is also good. Go travel. Yeah. Go to Thailand for three months. Yeah, it's not that expensive. 
people. cheaper, much cheaper. If you rent, that's why I tell my clients like if you rent your apartment, even if it's not yours, mm-hmm. you can sublet, and then you can actually sometimes pay for the rent because you're you're subletting it furnished. Mm-hmm. So you, with that difference, you can actually maybe pay your rent wherever you are. Exactly. Um, even if you have a mortgage, you could rent your house and go travel. So there's many ways that you can set it up, but I would say is don't be scared because we only have time. Time is our currency. Right. So our life is about managing time. Mm-hmm. So if you manage your time well. Have you ever had a coach? No. No? Mm-hmm. Um, do you know anybody who has a regular coach? Yes, I do. You don't have to say yes just because I'm a coach. The, the <laughs> honest answer. I don't know one person. You do? Yeah. And how does the person like it? Um, I think she loves it. Yeah? Yeah. You know Veronica. Yeah, that, it's her. It's her. <laughs> <laughs> so Veronica, I met her through you. Mm-hmm. And now she became my coaching client and she's awesome. Yeah. She does much more than I asked her for. <laughs> and I'm so excited about her business. Yeah. So how does she like it? Now we're, we're you have to <laughs> Oh, she says you're awful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's happy. She's happy. And you can see that how the way that she's advancing, you know, and uh, she comes to you and says, yeah, you know, she gave me some homework and I'm trying to do it. And, and then she comes up with the logo. She comes up with the strategy and everything is building much faster. And, 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 and you can see that. The business is moving forward, right? And and her life with it, you know, and that's interesting. And how come you don't have one yet? Um, I don't know. Is it time or money or? It could be money, probably. Yeah, I don't have the mentality to spend on that much. I'm say I'm 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 quite stoic, stoicism in that sense. I don't like to spend so much money. I like to keep quiet. Do you have? A- Social media where you recommend partners. I do this so much. If I don't have money to pay for a certain service, yeah, I'll offer them like let's partner up and I'll recommend you clients. Yes, in exchange of your service. Mm-hmm. So I swap okay. um, a bunch of services like lawyers, therapists, designers. Some people want to do coaching with me and they don't have the money to pay me. But they're awesome at doing whatever it is they're good at. So I say, you can pay me with what you know how to do. Awesome. Do you do that in, at all or no? Um, I could do that. It's just um, working like 12 hours, 15 hours a day. And <laughs> it's not so easy for me to, to reach a compromise or deal with anybody. So, okay. So let's uh, publicly, yeah. I'm offering you, let's swap. Let's do, mm-hmm. let me coach you at least once a month. Uh-huh. Uh, ideally it would be twice a month every 15 days yeah and then you just mention uh, if you like the coaching of course mm-hmm. you just mention our services in your website or somehow just so other yeah. people know about the work okay let's talk about it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what kind of performance tools do you use everything even like meditation exercising food I know you like to cook your own mm-hmm. food digital like Evernote apps anything you want to share so just to begin with I don't smoke I don't drink alcohol I don't try to eat um, I don't eat red meat Mm -hmm. I try to keep a strict diet in the sense that I eat everything but no lactose no red meat no alcohol no sugar no 
tobacco or drugs in general. Right, so this means that uh, in terms of diet, I try to keep it very, very controlled. Right, very and, healthy. Yeah, and that's what really keeps me up. Well, I should tell you a little bit of wine every day is healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Great, so you do exercise. How often? I don't exercise. Oh, you, I, I, I don't see have time. you at the gym sometimes. Yeah, but I don't have time. So I'm not regular on that. What I'm trying to do is trying to do activities that allow me to learn and do something while I'm exercising or doing something good for my body or my mind. So basically now, for example, I'm taking salsa classes. So it means that I'm being active. I can do it at night. Right. So I'm not, I don't have, so I'm basically not affecting my daily work. I'm not, and, uh, and it's fun as well. So, right. So okay. you have to find your own ways to, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And what about digital? Like, do you use Evernote, Dropbox, or what kind of tools do you use on your everyday? Google Drive, Google Suite, basically that's what we use. Everything is there. Google Docs, everything, everything. Everything. And how do you communicate with the team? Is it more WhatsApp, Facebook, or do you um, use other tools? Well, we're using WhatsApp, which uh, we're basically using it with all the partners that we're having in multiple countries. And that's working well. But for the team, I like to talk face to face. Never talk important stuff through WhatsApp. That's a lesson, a lesson that we learned. Right. <laughs> Never do that. If you have something important to say, just call that person or see them, meet them face to face. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If it's something important. Yeah, because otherwise it's so easy to uh, misunderstand. It's so easy to just understand something totally different from what you're trying to convey right. to your message. So um, just either speaking face-to-face, -face, that's the best way. The, the startup concept, actually, yes. is something fuzzy. Yes. Right? The more I understand, the less I understand. I think. <laughs> so I understand it has to have relation with tech somehow mm -hmm. in a way that it, and it also needs to be scalable. Mm -hmm. Fast, scalable. Yeah. So how would you define, like, in a very simple way, what is a startup? What makes a company a startup prospect? So I would like to say, in a way, it's a methodology that you're using. It's a method. So you are not doing a forecast. You're not assuming anything. You're not trying to let's say, hire 20 people from the beginning just because you think that you need them. What you do is you don't assume anything until you go to market. So that's the method. It's, and I think that what, that's what makes a startup a startup. It's that you are being as lean as possible. So that hence the lean startup methodology. You're trying to take the product to market as fast as you can and you're trying to get the feedback from the market as fast as you can. And that's how you build a better product. The traditional methodology is the other way around. Is you plan for years, you build the company, you build everything, and finally you take the product to market. And then you discover that nobody wants it. So testing, you're basically saying it has to be something that has already been tested. Or you test it, basically. So you build the the leanest, the, the smallest possible version of your product, the cheapest version that you can, and then you just release it and see what people say about it. 
So in a way, a startup is not necessarily something that relates to tech anymore, but rather methodology. So it needs to be already tested at least by you, like you said. You need to create a lead page or some sort to see how many people would actually want to buy yes. that thing. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And is there any book that comes to your mind that can actually help like a first read mm -hmm. for people who are interested? Um, I would say Peter Thiel's book. Um, I love Peter Thiel's um, Zero to One. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. 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 Um, his mindset is that you should build a monopoly. I don't totally agree because I think you can find niche niche within a market and have competition and still build something meaningful. Right. But uh, I think his, the, the book condenses a lot of the startup uh, ideas. And another one could be the Steve Blank. I don't know that one. So Steve Blank is a, is, is, is a teacher, I think, at, at Berkeley University. And he has this startup uh, book, we can call it the Startup Bible, because it contains basically all the methodology that, that you will use to start a startup. Mm -hmm. he's, he's quite known in the startup uh, world in the Bay Area because right. of that, because he is the one who has condensed the methodology into a book. So I guess that's it. I have a bunch of other things, but I have to respect your time. It's <laughs> one, two, three. <laughs> Thank you so much. Where can people find you besides the... So you, it's basically Lumumba. LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn, you would yeah. be Edward... Juvan Tour. Okay. Which I hope you will write down because I know it's not easy. <laughs> of course, you're going to have a dedicated page on my website. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, otherwise, you can send me an email at uh, eduardlumumba.com. Um, okay, yeah. Okay, great. I hope you have a great meeting. Thank you. And I hope I get to see you in a few months when I come back from Thailand. We will. <laughs> okay. This podcast is brought to you by MaxiCareerCoaching.com, where you can download the transcript of this interview and subscribe to our free courses and newsletters. We'd love to hear from you and to know about your exciting career story. Be sure to tune in again for our next episode of Exciting Careers Podcast.